You guys have your Bibles. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, we got a lot to do this morning. Um, got a lot of work ahead of us, so let's just jump in and uh, have some fun. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Ephesians 4, 17. We're in the midst of our campaign through the book of Ephesians, <clears throat> verse by verse, line by line, kind of looking at it together, chewing through it as a church. And uh, I'm excited about it. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm still getting fed. I Kind of, to be honest with you, when we started into this, we knew it was going to be a long kind of uh, journey and campaign through it, but hopefully it's remaining uh, life-giving to everybody, and uh, we're still enjoying it, having fun, and uh, all those good things. So if you're, wow, they changed the way this app looks now, awesome. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. If we could just do one thing for me this morning, I know this is a little weird, but if we could stand to our feet for the reading of God's word, that would just be awesome. Uh, lots is going to be said this morning, and we just want to remember that what's about to be read, what's about to be um, spoken from God's Word is His Word, and we want to give it honor and, and the preeminent place in our service this morning. So let's uh, read this together. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But, everybody say, but. But this is not, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you want to come and to speak to us. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come even as you have already been here in the midst of our worship, as you've made yourself uh, known to us, as you've made us aware of your presence, God, we ask that you would remain, that you would continue to uh, show yourself to us, that you would continue to reveal your presence here, and God, that your word would be real to our hearts. God, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, feet to walk it out. Let us be doers of your word and not hearers only. Let us not be ignorant. Let us not be hard-hearted. Let us not become callous, but God, through your presence, soften our hearts that we might be quick to repent, quick to change our opinion, quick to agree with you, that you might be glorified, magnified, and honored in this place. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to just jump right in here this morning. Last week, we talked, we read uh, the first part of this, 17 through 20, and we, we talked about the difference of of being qualified and that qualification being quantified. We talked about the fact that you are qualified 100% by Jesus. I need a good amen on that. Amen. That literally is where we get our name as a church, Sozo, that action of him saving you. He purchased and applies your salvation. It is a free gift from him. You didn't do anything to deserve it at all. In fact, you did quite a bit to not deserve it. And we've talked about the fact that that is completely not. You were made a son of God by Jesus and through the cross. Amen? 
Again, if we don't have this as the foundation, what we're going to be looking at here can seem skewed, can seem like legalism, can seem contrary to the gospel, and it's not. It's none of those things. We talked about last week that the gospel and Jesus and grace and the Holy Spirit and God himself wants nothing to do with behavior modification. He's not interested in surface level uh, adherence to an external set of rules. He's not interested in religious observations of of external things, but rather he's interested in changing the very fiber, the very nature of our being. That in Christ, you have a new you. It, it goes deeper. In the, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, it was all external. It was all, it was all follow these rules. In the New Covenant, please hear me, we're going to dig into this a little bit more as we continue this morning. It's not that God has nothing to say about the way we live our lives. However, the way he teaches us is now different. He, he works internally, not externally. He works from the inside out, not the outside in. So we, we talked last week that you're qualified by Jesus, but we also talked about the Holy Spirit is now at work quantifying you. We used that term last week, and I got a couple text messages and emails. What the heck does quantify mean? Uh, quantify means to determine, express, or measure the quantity of. In other words, what we're saying is this, the Holy Spirit is now trying to disperse your sonship into every area of your life. My, uh, one of our elders here, he's, a, he's the pastor of New Covenant Church in Kalispell, Montana. His name's uh, Lance Danick. He, he, uh, I, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with really cheesy, punny Christian stuff, and he's the master of posting it on Twitter. And I never know whether he's serious or funny. But he posted this uh, this week. He said, um, your heavenly father wants total custody, not just weekend visits. I thought somebody's got to put that on a pin cushion. Okay, as, as horribly cheesy as that sounds. Uh, the reality is there's truth there. God wants all of your life. He's not interested in making you a son and then just letting you live like hell. Come on, he's, he's interested in making you a son of heaven and helping you learn to live that way as a son of heaven. So he's, we're looking at quantifying what has already been qualified for us. Again, please hear me. This is not do this so you can be qualified. You have already, I love you, disqualified yourself thoroughly and completely. He has qualified you. And now he is quantifying that qualification. So this morning, I want to talk about the mystery of old versus new. The mystery of old versus new in this pursuit as we look through this. So last week in talking about that uh, qualification, we talked about the fact in, in, in seeing the ignorance and we saw the futility of the unregenerate mind. We saw that it's, it's like a cloud or a, a haze or a fogginess over our mind. It, it stops our perception of reality. It alters our perception. It's like when we're, when we're on this planet and we, we can say it's dark and in the night season it's, it's dark. It's, there's no sun but the reality is how many of us realize there is still a sun. It's still out there. Our perception has just been blocked. And what the scriptures tell us is that in Christ, that perception, that blockage, that, that thing that's casting a shadow on our perception is removed by Jesus. And now what I want to talk about is the, is the processing now that we are, are called to do and we are empowered to do because our perception is now clear. Just because you see something, come on, doesn't mean that you're going to process it correctly. Just because you, you, you have that, that shadow removed doesn't mean that that, that perception or the, the processing or the way you think is going to be perfect. You have been made a son. Come on, somebody. You have been given the ability to see as a son, and now we are called to think like a son. 
Again, for all the ladies in the room, we are all sons of God. That's what the scriptures tell us. It's not a sexist thing. It's just a biblical thing. However, the Bible also tells us that we're all the bride of Christ, so we both got it rough, okay? So we're going to kind of chew through this now, focusing mostly on verses 21 through 24. I want to look at how it is that that working happens, because I need to make sure this is, is clear to us, because kind of the core of our theology here, if we're going to wrap it up in, in one kind of statement, we are a big God theology church. We make much of Jesus, much of God, much of his work, much of his effort, much of his energy, right? Much of his greatness and his awesomeness, he is what we focus on. If we're going to, if we're going to make an error, we've decided as a church in our theology, it's going to be, we're going to make God too magnified. However, in saying that, in addition to that, I want us to also understand that in the midst of these things, in the midst of, of he is the one who saves you. We all jive on that. He saved you. Are you with me this morning? There is a personal experience that gives us an assurance that his, his saving work has been applied to us in our response and our repentance. We, we get that? We, we jive with that? In saying that Christ is the one who saves, so well then, then is everyone just instantaneously saved? How do, we, how do we know? How do we not know? Well, there's this process that Scripture lays out for us of hearing, repenting, and responding. Well, in the same way, there's going to be a process of that internal working working out. And we're going to have an experience of those things happening. The thing we need to remember and realize and acknowledge, and it's so important to me as the teaching pastor here, is that we realize that that is from, starts from the working of the Holy Spirit in our spirits. This is not an external thing inward. It's an internal thing working out. We're going to look at this in, in good detail this morning, but I just want to make sure, got to pound that over and over again so that we get it, so that we grab a hold of it, so we don't forget it. The gospel, in teaching us that God draws near to us in our sin, please hear me, the gospel teaches us emphatically that, that our sin does not scare God, but rather attracts him to us. For God so loved the world that he gave, not that he ran away. Our state, our corruption, our fallenness, our brokenness, our death drew him to us, not away from us. Okay, we, we get this? In teaching us that, though, the gospel does not teach that God is content leaving us there. Did everybody hear me? Okay, we, we, we can rejoice quite easily in our flesh, which is not my hope, in hearing that Christ draws near to us in our sin. Because what we kind of add to that is, well, then he's cool with it. God still has much to say about the way we live our life, and let's just be honest, let's just cut it right to the, to the heart of it. He has every right to tell us how to live. He's the author of life. I think he knows how to do it better than we do. So, so I don't want us to hear, well, in, in the gospel, God draws near to our sin. It doesn't scare him, so you know what? He's cool with it. We can just be buds, and I can just continue to live in the same debauchery and filth that I always have, continue thinking the same way, living the same way, be motivated the same way, and it's okay because, you know, Jesus died for me. That's not the gospel. What kind of God in love would bring life to a person? Okay? Bring us back to life and then leave us to continue on the same path that killed us in the first place. I have an uncle 
a great uncle. I'm, I, my, my family, my, my dad's side of the family is Irish Catholic, so there's lots of us. And I have a, an uncle, a great uncle, who, who got lung cancer from smoking, and he still smokes. He had half of his lung removed. The dude still smokes. What kind of doctor would be like, that's fine, I can just remove a lung, you're good. If we understand that, why do we not understand a God who would bring life back to our dead soul, to our dead spirit, and then just kind of be cool with this, uh, you know, continuing on that path? I mean, we, we've all watched a child play a video game, right? Some of you guys get the same kind of like, just, it, it's awesome to watch him like play a game. I remember the first time my son played uh, like a first person shooter type little kid game and he ran off the cliff, right? Like, eh, runs off the cliff. What happens? You get a redo in a video game, right? Real life, not so much in a video game. Yay! Comes back to life, and what do they do? Ah, right off the cliff again. It's like an exercise in patience and futility at the same time, watching your kid do this over again. Ah, <laughs> some point, come on, we step in, and we, you don't run off the cliff. That's legalism. We together on this? We jive in on this? God in his love as a loving father instructs us, disciplines us in the way we ought to live. The difference, however, again, is that it's an internal working, not an external working. It's not an outside. Inside is an inside outside. So the way we experience this process is what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians of putting off the old and putting on the new. There is an old you that is corrupt and dead and, and, and all of those things that those first verses talked about. Your thinking is corrupt. Your, 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 your ability to perceive is, is, is completely and utterly broken. And in the new you, all of that is taken care of. In the new you, there is life. The old you is dead in its transgressions. The new you is alive in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I get somebody to say amen? I need us to understand this because this is not about, I don't want anybody to hear what's about to be taught and think, oh, we're talking about self-improvement, a better you. I'm not talking about a better you, I'm talking about a completely new you. The, the gospel, the scriptures, the Bible does not teach us self-improvement. It teaches that the old you is completely and utterly corrupt and you need a whole new you. A, a better you is not something God is interested in. He wants a complete and total new you by putting off the old, putting on the new. I'm going to keep saying this until we get it. Putting off the old and putting on the new. There is a personal experience of this in this reality we call time and life. But before we go into this, before we kind of dig into this, I need us one more thing to, to, to make sure we understand because I don't want to lose who we are. This is a journey. What we're about to talk about is a journey. Everybody say journey. This, this process, it's a, it is one. It's, it's a process. It's not something that I'm sitting up here saying, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to teach you about putting off the old, putting on the new, and then we'll do that this morning, and then you're good. We'll move on to the next thing. This is a constant process. Come on, somebody. And God's okay with that? And we're okay with that. So in saying that God is not okay in leaving us in our sin, I'm not in any way saying God is kind of sitting up in heaven going like, all right, dude, let's get to perfection here. I got stuff to do. He is engaged and he is actively involved in the process, come on somebody, of our transformation. Can I get somebody to say amen? God is committed to this process. What I'm calling us to is to make that same commitment. Yesterday, I got to do one of my favorite things as a pastor and perform a wedding ceremony. Now, the thing about marriage that's so amazing 
is that it's secure, right? We, 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 a healthy, good, biblical, godly marriage is secure. We're secure in our relationship, right? Again, I'm not trying to, to, to make anybody feel guilty or if you've gone through things in your life, I'm not putting that down. But in, in God's perfect plan, I think we would all agree that, that marriage is supposed to be secure and for life. Does that mean we do not continue to pursue our spouse in love and devotion? Not at all. What we're talking about here is to continue to commit to and pursue God in devotion. What we're talking about is is being committed, not allowing the security that we have in our relationship with God because it was completely and utterly purchased by him to let us become lax, but rather because of that security, find a motivation for devotion and right living. So let's jump into this real quick. Old, off, new, on is the outward manifestation of the inward working of the Holy Spirit. Only Jesus can empower us to do this because he is unique in his ability to bring life to dead people. Please hear that again. He is completely unique in his ability to bring life to dead people. No other religion says you're dead, I will make you alive. All other religions may say something along the lines of there's a problem in your life and here's the 14 ways to fix it. You do these 14 things and then you'll be fixed. The gospel doesn't teach that. It says you were dead. Christ brought life to your your dead body. He brought life to your dead spirit. He is unique in that. And the putting off of the old and putting on the new is the outward manifestation of that inward working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? So what's the cause of this? What's the, the cause of this death? The cause of this futility is what the scriptures here call deceitful desires. Everybody say deceitful desires. Okay, we, we all struggle with this. Okay, so every one of us, all of us, all the time, we struggle with this. I'm not, I'm pointing fingers to myself, preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody else. We all struggle with deceitful desires. We all have leanings, bends, uh, uh, things that pull us away, passions that draw us toward things that ultimately deceive us into thinking, come on somebody, that they will be fulfilling, but ultimately leave us broken and shattered in the end. I'm going to just use one here that's easy for us to kind of grab a hold of, alcohol. Nothing wrong with drinking. Benjamin Franklin was quite wise when he said that God loves us and wants us to be happy, and therefore he gave us beer. There's nothing wrong with it. But when a deceitful desire comes in and says, hey, you're unhappy, drink this, you'll be happy. You'll be funnier. You'll sleep better. Your life will be more fulfilled. It's a deceitful desire. Click on this website, and you'll somehow feel loved and fulfilled and satisfied. Deceitful desire. We jiving on this? That person wronged you. Go yell, scream, holler at them, get in their face, stick your finger in their chest. You'll feel better. Deceitful desire. You're lonely. Go find somebody to fulfill your physical needs. Deceitful desire. And here's here's what that, what that literally, when you dig into the Greek on that deceitful, the the old joke, the only problem with deception is it's so deceiving. When you dig into this word, though, in the Greek, literally what it means is to be cheated. And I would say doubly cheated because ultimately you've wasted time, talent, and treasure on something that was supposed to satisfy you. And ultimately in the end, while there may be, please hear me, momentary gratification, there's no eternal satisfaction. There's no lasting fulfillment. So now you're cheated not only out of the time, talent, and treasure, but you wasted your money 
on something that ultimately didn't lead to any satisfaction in your life. And that's the place. This is what I want us to hear. That's the place where the death comes from. Do you understand why that's so important? I'm not saying God like sees all this stuff that's great and awesome for you. We have this kind of perception in modern American culture. Like there's all this good stuff that God's like, I don't want you to have that. That's, that's too good for you. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is, is addressing and dealing with the pull that those deceitful desires come from. Because here's what you need to understand. That deceitful desire pulls on your flesh. It does not pull on your spirit. So I want to teach us something here. I'm, I'm, I've said this publicly here. I'm not a teacher, per se, when it comes to a, a biblical understanding of it. But I, I want us, it's important to me, that we grab a hold of this understanding of putting off the old and putting on the new. Because this is the process where, if I'm going to be really honest, whether or not we really believe the gospel becomes evident. Because it's easy to respond in our flesh to God loves you and wants you to be saved. We find out if our spirit's really alive when we start talking about that's a deceitful desire, you, you need to put that off. But I like it. Of course you do. You're deceived. Are we going to put it off? Or are we going to put on the new? I need us to grab a hold of this understanding, though, that the, the Spirit of God, we talked about in, in Ephesians that this is not how you learned Christ, right? We learn Christ through our spirit. We interact with him on a supernatural level. So I'm going to read this real fast. Galatians, I don't have time to preach from this, but just want to kind of throw this in the mix that's kind of in our heads as we dig into what I'm about to try to teach us in the next about 10 minutes. It says, but I say to you, you're going to hear the echo of what we've already read here. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not, you will not gratify the desires, come on somebody, of the flesh. Those are those deceitful desires. So the answer is not try harder. The answer is walk in the spirit. Don't walk in the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Important thing, wish I could teach on it, don't have time. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, <laughs> enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. I don't like that one. That one bothers me. I like getting angry. Deceitful desires. <laughs> Revelries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I love, just I have to do this. I love, love, love that God just put a junk drawer at the end. Do you, do you see it? You see it right there? And things like these. Because if all he did was end the list there, we'd be like, sweet! And we'd come up with new things that aren't in the list that we could do, and they're totally fine. So he adds a junk drawer at the end, and all this kind of stuff, you know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, okay. Again, it's not about external lists. It's about something he's doing in our heart. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, everybody say but. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
Okay, lots of stuff being talked about here, okay? And we're going to go through this really fast, and it's a lot to throw at you. And if you want to draw pictures, it would be a good idea because I made slides with pictures. That's how much I'm trying to be a teacher this morning. You proud of me? All right. Because I want us to understand this. I don't want us to lose this. Um, We are all three parts. All of us are made up of three parts. Each and every one of us. Body, soul, and spirit. We need to understand this, and we need to understand the way these things work and the way these things interact, because this is the process, this is the experience, I should say, of putting off the old and putting on the new. Walking in the Spirit, not fulfilling the desires of the flesh. So just to define these things here briefly, your body's the easiest one. It's the physical representation of you. Okay, Your blood, your bones, your organs, that's your flesh. This is the part that we've talked about, that Galatians and Ephesians here are showing us. This is what those deceitful desires pull on. This is where those motivations, those, that deception finds its root. This is where its effectiveness is. Next, we have your soul. Now, soul and spirit, I'm just going to go ahead and put both of these. Whoa, maybe I'm going to put both of them up. Um, both of these up just because, please hear me, in Scripture, it's going to sound a little weird, and I need you to just trust me on this and then go search, search it out for yourselves in the Scriptures and see if what I'm telling you is true. Soul and spirit in an English translation of the Bible will sometimes be interchanged for rhythm purposes of reading it, for poetry purposes. There'll be an exchange. You need to look at the context to figure out the difference. Now, the reason why I can tell you that this is, is not something that I worry about being uh, you know, in heresy over is even Paul said that it's hard to distinguish between your soul and your spirit. So we're kind of splitting hairs here. But for the sake of our conversation this morning and our understanding of the way this goes, please understand we could flip the title, soul and spirit, what they do is what we're, what we're focusing on. Your soul is your mind, your thought faculties of your brain, your will, the decision-making part of you, and your emotions, how you feel, okay? And your spirit is that eternal part of you. This is the part that dies through corruption and sin and is brought back to life through your interaction with Jesus. So what I need us to, to, to grab a hold of here is these deceitful desires pull on your flesh, your body, And what I want to try to teach us here is the ability to put to death the work of the flesh through the instrument and power of your soul. That might sound a little weird. Just follow with me here. The old way of doing things flows this direction. So your physical body wants something. Okay? So here's what it does. Your physical body wants something. And I had to put these in a weird order here because stylistically, (laughs) of the soul here. It grabs your emotions and makes you feel something. Anybody ever gotten really angry when all you were was hungry? Right? I mean, it's, it's your body, your physical body has a tie to your soul, to your emotions. So you start to feel a certain way, and then what does that lead to? You start thinking a certain way. Hungry, so I, get, I start feeling angry, and then I start thinking, I don't think that person really likes me. I think they're mean. I think they're a jerk. I make a decision in my will to go punch them in the nose. And slowly, as we talked about last week, death creeps back into our spirit. Use one here that's really kind of, let's try to be good here. This is the problem. If we're led by our flesh, this is why this is so important to me. Even when we want to do something good, ultimately it does not happen 
because our flesh is corrupt. So we, we hear things like, you know, typically we should spend time with Jesus in the morning. Have you ever heard that before? So we go, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to spend time with Jesus. But it's fled from your flesh, so your emotions really aren't there, right? And you're like, your emotions are kind of upset about this. Not super pumped about the idea of losing an hour of sleep. Never mind the fact that there's that first part of when you go to sleep that you could make up that hour. We don't think about that. I have to get up early. I don't feel like it. So our thinking starts to go, I have a comfortable bed that's warm and a hot wife in it. I don't want to get up in the morning. So before we know it, we've actually made a decision in our will to not get up in the morning, despite the fact that in our flesh we set an alarm. And again, death is brought to our spirit. Here's what I want us to understand. Religion says try harder, get a louder alarm clock. Right? Maybe get that one that has like the rock that when the alarm goes off, cuts the rope and smacks you in the face to get up in the morning. Motivate yourself physically to do things. Here's what we need to get though. The new self, putting on the new, is reversing this order completely. The Holy Spirit in you begins to work internally inside your spirit. And here's what I need us to grab. All of it is now backwards. Are you hearing me? So what ends up happening is the Holy Spirit begins to motivate and pull. It, it influences you the exact opposite way that your flesh does. Your flesh influences your emotions first. The scriptures, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the gospel, influences your will first. Suddenly you find yourself with a desire to do something. And here's where the rub happens. This is where we need, what we need to learn. This is what the, the manifestation that needs to begin to happen. We need to begin to take every thought captive. Change the way you think. So let's, we're using our cheesy example of getting up in the morning, okay? Please hear me. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty if you don't get up early in the morning. I hate mornings. It's in my opinion that getting up early in the morning and having your time with Jesus is robbing the Chinese people from their late night prayer meetings. Some of you are going to get that in about five minutes. <laughs> it's when we're supposed to be praying, late at night. Okay, we need to understand that we take every thought captive. We have a will, we make a decision. I am going to get up in the morning, this is what I desire. My will is being pulled in this area. So I begin to take every thought captive. And so if we're going to use this analogy of getting up in the morning, I begin to think about the amazing things that are going to happen. My emotions are still completely against this, by the way. Emotionally, I'm still kind of upset about it. That's still there because my flesh is still pulling. It says they war against one another, right? So if I try to be led by my feelings, I'm never going to win. So what I do is I learn how to lead my feelings with my thoughts. I start thinking, I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to meet with the very God who made the universe. He's going to spend time with me despite the fact that there's Chinese people still praying. He's going to come here and hang out with me. We're going to spend time together. He's going to speak to me. This God who created me, and then when I was a dirty, rotten, horrible sinner, still came and brought life to my dead body. He's going to hang out with me. He loves me. He cares about me. He's a father who wants to teach me and instruct me. And how many of you can already hear that my emotions are getting in line with this? All of a sudden, now I'm feeling excited. And before I know it, my body has no choice but to have life brought to it. Do you get the difference? This ear thing is not working out for me this morning. We've got, to, we've got to understand the fundamental difference of these two things. The flow is completely different. Now, here's what I want to teach us real fast in understanding this. Because this whole, the battle begins to happen in our soul, honestly, in our mind. 
Anybody else going to agree with me on this, that that's where the real warring kind of begins to happen? I'm going to teach you something that I remember when I, when I learned this, actually I wasn't in any kind of uh, church kind of situation. I remember when I was learning about the cognitive abilities of the human mind, this thing like the Holy Spirit showed up in the classroom I was in and it was like light bulbs went off in my head. God has given the human mind an incredible ability that is the tool in making this work for us. You know what it is? You can only concentrate on one thing at a time. And that's a gift from Jesus. Now, ladies are going like, I can think of like 47 things at a time. I said concentrate, okay? I get that you guys have a better processor than we do. I'm fully willing to admit that. That's why you win all the arguments. <laughs> You've seen all the angles when we haven't seen any of them. I love you, babe. I'll hear about it later. Don't worry. <laughs> So here, we're, we're gonna, I'm just going to prove this to you. I want you to, right now, think about an elephant. Okay, I want you to think about the, the, the size. Of the, is it a big elephant or is it a little elephant? Is it a real elephant or is it a cartoon elephant? Is it Dumbo with big ears? Is it one you saw at the zoo a couple years ago? Is it all gray? Does it have tusks? Is it, is it all gray or does it have that weird kind of fleshy skin tone thing happening that some of the elephants in India have? When you go up and you touch it, is it rough? Is it smooth? What does its ears feel like? Does it get angry when you flap them like sheets? Or is it cool with it? Okay, here's what I know for certain. That while you were thinking about that, none of you were thinking about the toothpaste you need to buy later this week. What I'm telling you is this. The goal of here is not, okay, don't think about how much it's going to suck to get up in the morning and read my Bible. If you're doing that, what are you doing? You're thinking about how much it's going to suck in the morning to get up and read your Bible. I know this is boring and practical, but come on, we live in boring and practical most days. What I'm telling you is don't, the scriptures don't say, don't think about. What they say is set your mind on. Pick something. My daughter's going through some rough stuff at school. I'm not going to go into it. She's kind of going through some rough, rough stuff at her school. Her birthday is this Saturday. So do you know what I've been telling her? I've been telling her as she's getting ready to go to school, not don't think about the hard things that are going to be happening today. It could happen today at school. What I tell her is think about the party you're going to have at the end of the week. We've got to grab a hold of this. This is the way we put off the old and we put on the new. This is the way we overcome those deceitful desires. This is the way we grab a hold of the life that we have in Christ. Amen? Old versus new. Let's land here. Verse 24 says, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness, and holiness. That word true is amazing. When you look it up in the Greek, it literally means, it, it, it finds its root in the letter A in the Greek alpha, alpha. Number one, first, preeminent, most. But then it has this weird after effect in the Greek of being possibly hidden. What it means is this, the true righteousness and holiness the real, not the fake, not the phony, not the, not, the, not the pseudo kind of imitation, the real. May not seem like the real on the surface, but the real. Righteousness means right standing with God. Holiness means undefiled. Here's the problem. You can't undefile something that has already been defiled. If somebody goes on a murdering spree, kills hundreds of people, and then decides they're going to clean up their neighborhood, they're not going to make up for the murders they committed. They've been defiled. 
Sin has defiled the you that sits in that chair. I love you. The good news is not Jesus can come and teach you how to live better from here on out, and hopefully you can tip the scales enough that he's not pissed at you when you show up in heaven. That's not the gospel. That's not what Scripture teaches us. Jesus comes and says, you've been corrupted, you've been defiled. I'm going to go ahead and teach you how to put all that off. I have a completely new you that you can put on. It's not defiled. Please hear me. You can't undefile what's already been defiled. So trying to work better from your flesh is only going to continue to perpetuate defilement. There's death in your flesh. There's life in your spirit. What direction do you want the flow of your life to go? Do you want death from your flesh to flood through your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, and corrupt your spirit? Or do you want the life that's in Christ and in your spirit to flow through your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, into the body that you currently possess on this earth and find that body more and more looking like Jesus? Overcoming the pull of the flesh with the instrument of the soul so that the spirit can take over. I'm going to pray for us. And I want to be really clear this morning. If you're here and you have not had a personal experience of responding to Jesus, if you've never experienced that repentance that comes with the faith that enters our heart, I want to encourage you to begin to open up your heart this morning and begin to ask the Lord to give you that gift. The Bible tells us that repentance is a gift from God. We can't fake it. We can't just kind of do it. It can't be born of the flesh any more than anything else. But God wants to work in your spirit to bring about genuine repentance. Where we say repentance is simply this, saying that God is right and I am wrong. And please understand, that's kind of the journey of every believer is constantly admitting that God is right and I am wrong. But that journey has to start somewhere. And if that's never started for you, if you've never kind of just openly admitted that there's a drunk driver behind the wheel of my mind and I'm ready to get rid of him. I want to encourage you to begin to seek the Lord even in these moments. And I don't care whether you've been here from the beginning or this is your first time here. We all need this. Everything I said, please hear me, everything I said this morning is worthless to you if Christ has not brought life to your spirit. You have a dead spirit. There's no life that's going to flow out of your spirit. The good news is, is that gift is free, and the Scriptures tell us that all who will may come. I don't understand how that works, but it does. So I want to encourage us to respond in that way. For those of us who have experienced that, there's still much work of repentance to be done in our life. Amen? So we're going to open up the altar here this morning, open up this time. We have communion prepared. We take by method known as antiquation. We take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. I'm going to open that up to you as you feel led. You don't have to have gone through a class, but we do ask that if you have not experienced that initial repentance, if you have not experienced the regeneration of your spirit by Jesus, that you refrain from this until a time when you have. This is something for those who have experienced it to celebrate. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to enter back into worship and give us all a chance to respond personally before we respond corporately. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning. Thank you that you're living and active. And we thank you that you are working in the midst of this place. And we ask right now that you would just come. 
Come and move on our hearts. Come and move in our lives. Come and move in the midst of this moment so that moment by moment we might experience your moving in our lives. God, if there's areas where we need to surrender to you, if there's areas where we need to bow our knee and confess your rightness and our wrongness, God, we ask that you give us the grace to do that this morning. Come and have your way.